Everybody has to be completely silent until we start recording the podcast. I mean, it, it's recording. Mm. Or it caught me as I was taking a drink of my podcast beverage. <laughs> What's your podcast beverage? Uh, lukewarm Coke Zero. Okay. Uh, Kyle, do you have a podcast beverage? Um, right now, I'm just drinking the tears of the SFA fans. Um, <laughs> they sell it at the uh, at the Circle K that I'm close to. <laughs> one, of the, one of the flavor shot options. What uh, What do they have to be upset about? They're good, and they're actually like going to crack the ranking soon. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like they're perpetually mad. Um, granted, I don't. I, I I've not done anything to uh, like poke the bear. I guess. Um, but it's just, I think Cam could speak no, more. You're not the one who does that. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I'd rather not poke anything. <laughs> I'm also the one who does that. Oh, oh all right. You, you know what? Did Carl, give us the uh, royalty free uh, intro music, please. Thank you, Thank Carl. You. you can stop now. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Mid Major Madness podcast. My name is Russ Steinberg. I'm joined by my co editors, Kyle Cajero and Cam Newton. It has been, well, we haven't talked to you since uh, the last decade. L- listen to how funny I am. Uh, so a lot to catch you up on here in the world of college basketball. And because, you know, maybe 90% of the Twitter interaction that we get um, when we like ask for questions is something along the lines of, will my team make the NCAA tournament or what? You know, can we get an at-large? No. Um, we, we figured we would discuss a lot of NCAA tournament stuff today, you know, at the start of conference play and what certain teams have to do. And I think I'll, I'll start again by saying, no, your team's not going to get an at-large. <laughs> and you're not going to throw at me a bunch of hypotheticals like, well, if we win out, you won't, so stop. Okay, but if we, if this this kind of good team that we beat then beats this other good team, it won't. So win your league tournament and you'll go. You'll get the automatic bid. That's what you should rely on. Um, now, point number two. Um, you you two both had actually an interesting conversation the other day in Slack uh, talking about this college basketball season compared to last. And I think on a national scale, um, the, the popular – kind of narrative is that you know there's no one great team all these top 10 teams keep losing there's maybe not as much talent in the you know in the top tier of the country as there once was and I think that's all true Uh, what we're seeing at the mid-major level is that the typical for lack of a better term mid-major powers uh, are all very very good but there's not much below that like last year you had like Lipscomb and Liberty in the A-Sun kind of both making the cases for at-larges you had a couple of SoCon teams who could have had a shot you had Belmont actually get the at-large bid you don't really have schools like that this year um, and and that's just something that you, that you guys were talking about and I wanted you to have this conversation now on the podcast so just one of you start talking yeah, that's what I was going to bring up, and I don't know if like last season was just like so um, out of the ordinary and just like an aberration that it kind of like irrationally spoiled me or something. Um, but compared to last season, I know we go through the same thing 
every week when we go through our rankings and stuff, it feels like there's no good teams in that bottom section of, of the conferences that we cover. Um, like, like you were mentioning just beforehand, this was what I was saying to Kyle in the chat, was it feels like all of the teams who are you know, the ones that we're expecting to do well um, in March and actually get these bids are teams that are you know, from these, the bigger conferences that we do cover, the traditional ones. And, and last year, um, and I know Kyle was talking about how it's, it's interesting that we do have a lot more teams he thinks that will probably you know, make these deep runs in, in March. Um, but even last year, like the teams who were better from these smaller conferences were still, you know, teams that had that potential. A lot of people picked Belmont to uh, beat Maryland and they came just short. I mean, you had Lipscomb who was like 45th or something like that in, in the, um, in Ken Palm rankings, make it all the way to the, uh, to the NIT title game. I mean, at this point right now, if you look at what the, um, like for example, just going off Ken Palm, like the highest team on there that is not from one of the bigger conferences we cover is Liberty at 47. And then right after that, it's Louisiana tech at 56. And we can probably all agree that neither of those teams are more than likely going to get an at large bid um, in the, at the end of the day of the NCAA tournament last season, we had clumped around right in that area, Lipscomb, Belmont, Murray state, New Mexico state, um, Liberty, and, and there was just this whole group of teams from these smaller conferences that, that were emerging. I mean, UNC Greensboro, for instance, out of the SOCON, was ended up being the very first team out of the tournament. So we were just on the cusp of having a two-bid SOCON and two-bid OVC. Um, so just strictly from that perspective, yes, there are probably some stronger teams from those top conferences than last year, but I enjoyed how many quality teams we ended up having. And yeah, I mean... I, I, I totally agree. I mean, just because we're a you know we're a mid we're a mid major basketball site, um, clearly we want as many of uh, the teams that we cover, um, or you know as many of the teams that fall outside that Power Five, Big East, you know American bubble, um, to do really well. Um, but at the same time, what I, I I'm trying to remember what I said in Slack. I know this is just tremendous uh, content for you guys. Um, us just reiterating the slack bit, but um, you know, I, I I argued that even though you know we don't have all of these non-traditional powers kind of emerging, um, and maybe to Cam's point that it was an aberration. I mean, you you think of Lipscomb, you think of Belmont, you think of Murray State. All three of those guys have, or all three of those teams uh, had guys that are now on NBA rosters right now, and um, Garrison Matthews and John Morant and Dylan Windler. And maybe that was just kind of a flash in the pan kind of thing. Um, but, you know, you, you look at the other top 25 um, that we published today. Um, I'm just going to read off the top. You know, let's go eight teams just because they're the ones I feel comfortable with. Um, you have Gonzaga, San Diego State, uh, Dayton, BYU, VCU, St. Mary's, Furman, and Utah State. I mean, you think of those eight teams, um, and those are some really, really good teams. And sure, like, it kind of drops off a little bit after that, you know, after you think about those eight teams, then maybe you talk about Liberty, maybe you talk about Northern Iowa or Richmond or Yale and like all of these teams that are like really good, maybe in terms of teams that we cover, but maybe not as good to like win a couple of games in March. Um, but that aforementioned top eight, like you have two teams in 
Gonzaga in San Diego State that could be the number one seed in the West. And you have a team like Dayton or BYU or VCU who, you know, maybe will get in that large bid and be the favored team in those matchups. I mean, you just look at some of these like really high caliber teams at the top. And yeah, maybe it's not as fun just because, you know, <laughs> you will just keep cranking out the A10 and the, and the Gonzaga and the you know, San Diego state pieces as the season progresses. Um, but still, I mean, I, I would prefer that um, as opposed to what we had last year where we had a bunch of these teams that were really good, but maybe didn't make it as far or even make the tournament at all. If you talk about Lipscomb. Yeah. But with, with some um, of those teams too, I mean, last year, if you looked at like the seating and stuff, you know, Gonzaga still got, uh, do I, was I correct in saying that they got a one seed last year or were they, a? they were a one seed last year, right? Yeah. they were. One seed. Okay. Um, so you had them. We had Buffalo at six, and those were really like our only um, highly seeded, I guess, teams that were that were within the scope of what we cover. Um, but even still, I mean, some of when I know we you had Nevada have, at seven too, right? And, and Wofford. Yeah, yeah. I was just talking about super high seeds. I mean, we also had Villanova, yeah, no, you, Villanova at like seven. Vill- Villanova was a six too. Oh, okay, there you go. And so um, Utah State was an eight seed, and all of these teams like even though they didn't get wins and stuff, still competed pretty strong. Um, I mean, they were within a within a strike of, of making um, some actual noise. I mean, you had Murray State blew the hell out of uh, Mar- Marquette in that first game. Of course, they turned right around and got embarrassed. Um, so I don't know. I think last year seemed like it was um, kind of different in that the, the teams that ended up, you know, making the tournament so chalky were just so freaking strong that even up against the the wide amount of uh, these strong teams that we ended up having in our coverage, um, they still ended up winning. But I think that this year, I mean, you never really know what happens once the, once the tournament, I will say it will be exciting if we do end up having um, a lot of these really strong mid majors, just for the sheer fact that it'll give us a lot to cover going into the, going into the late rounds of the tournament, but it would just be, I think more fun if anything else, I think that's what I'm really bemoaning is just like the lack of fun um, new teams out there. Because even some of these teams that we are covering are the, even within these big conferences are the traditional ones who always do well. It's not like we have an ascendant A10 team out here like Duquesne. Richmond. Well, well, I mean, Richmond has Duquesne, a lot of. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, well, Richmond still has a lot of history. Uh, yeah, but they've been dreadful the last few years. Right, right. And so that's why I think we kind of talk about them a lot. Maybe even more than well because they're spiders. Yes, I do. Like, and you like spiders. I do like the spot. I do like spiders. And we all love Chris Mooney and think he should be extended. And we love Grant Golden. Um, oh, Grant Golden's my boy. He, he's my big burly boy. Yeah, he's we we've really clung to him. We kind of have a big boy like that every year. Um, we had Shemek and Shem. Oh uh, God, who did we have last? We had to have had one last year, but that's beside the point. Um, but what I was saying basically is just that even the really strong teams are just not really the fun ones. Um, and that's, that's kind of what I am bemoaning the most. You know, I, I'm thinking back to the tournament last year where from like selection Sunday through the end of the second round, we published like 400 stories mm-hmm. and that basically went dark after the sweet 16. Right. And just did nothing the rest of the tournament. I, you're right in that. I don't think it'll be like that this year. And just for, you know, for the sake of maybe shaking up what we do, you know, maybe rather than writing a hundred pieces about, you know, here's what you need to know about this 
at-large pick that got a 12 seed and it's going to Dayton, you know, we're going to have some interesting discussions like should Gonzaga or should San Diego State be the one seed in the West? Mm -hmm. And I think we're already coming up on a point where that is a legitimate debate because even if I, I do think it's possible they both get one seeds, by the way, but only one of them could go out West. And, you know, you're talking about who it's going to be. San Diego State's undefeated right now, but maybe Gonzaga has a better body of work. I'm wondering which of those two teams has impressed you the most to this point, And how do you kind of assess what they're going to be able to do going forward? I think Gonzaga is probably the stronger team, right? But San Diego State probably has a much better chance of building a resume at, from here on out for a one seed. Um, just because based on who Gonzaga still has to play and how shaky they kind of looked this past week and everything like that. I mean, maybe they drops a game to get, um, you know, BYU or St. Mary's and whatnot. And you keep going along here with San Diego state. And that, that this past week when they ended up beating Utah state on the road, it was pretty much the hardest game they had left. I mean, they still face a lot of strong teams, but that was definitely the, the toughest one left on their schedule. Um, so I think from here on out, it's probably, like San Diego State has a much better opportunity, right? Yeah, um, you're you're probably right, and I, I think San Diego State did its best to schedule up in the non-conference. They played and they beat BYU. Mm-hmm. Uh, they beat Creighton and Iowa in their um, Feast Week tournament. They beat Utah on a neutral, and then they go into conference play. And what's not a great conference, but it should be one that gives you two, maybe even three bids. Um, I don't know if it's quite as impressive as what Gonzaga was able to do. You know, obviously North Carolina is a big disappointment, but they beat them, beat Arizona and beat Washington, two legit good teams. Also beat Oregon, another one. Um, doesn't really matter that Texas A&M is down this year because they already have those wins. Um, what I worry about with Gonzaga is that, uh, is the West Coast Conference going to beat up on each other? to the point where maybe beating St. Mary's doesn't quite mean as much as it, we think it should, or, or the same could go for BYU. I think that might be a concern for Gonzaga. And I think the margin of error for both of these teams is very thin, just knowing historically how little credit the committee tends to give conferences outside of the major seven. Unless they go undefeated. And I know it's like really silly to talk yeah. about that. But I'm just thinking of that Wichita State team in 2014 that got a one seed, even though they played in a pretty down mountain or Missouri Valley Conference. Like if we're if San Diego just runs the table from here on out, uh, San Diego State rather, you know, I, I do think they should get a one seed over Gonzaga. And that's going to make a lot of Gonzaga fans unhappy. Even well, if I, oh, hold on better. I, I don't think it necessarily has to come at the expense of Gonzaga. Okay. Um, because the, they're they're not in the same conference. Gonzaga mm-hmm. could win out. Gonzaga could, you know, only lose one more game going forward, maybe even two, and still be a one seed. Mm-hmm. Um, now San Diego State going undefeated would be the one seed in the West. That's for mm-hmm. sure. And Gonzaga would maybe be shipped to the Midwest or to the South. Yeah. Um, but they could both be one seeds. It's you know the seeding is not done based on geographical purposes, you know, adjustments are made, maybe moving teams up and down a line, you know, to, to fit the bracket rules, but not in seating the one seats for sure. So, <laughs> can you imagine the discourse 
from all of like, the, the dumb it. casual fans. Oh my god! When we if we if we had both of those as one. Seat. I mean, honestly, oh, if, if we want this to happen, we just have to root against like Duke and Kansas right. and one of either Michigan State or Ohio State to just like you know lose more games. Of course, we but. we desperately need those two teams to just win every game that they play. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would be so much fun to fight with people on Twitter over this. Uh, because you know oh, yeah. people are going to be upset if they both got a one seed. And it, I, I don't want to I, – I feel like I may have made it sound like it was a lot more likely than it is. Like, it's really not. Um, like I said, the margin of error is, is so thin for these teams that, you know, Gonzaga almost slipped up a couple times uh, this weekend. Mm-hmm. San Diego mm-hmm. State almost slipped up against San Jose State. Um, and, and any loss like that could, could just completely kill your chances. So I think the most likely scenario is one of these teams gets the number one seed in the West and the other gets the number two seed, and maybe they meet in the Elite Eight. But I, I wouldn't discount the possibility right away of both of them getting on that one line. This is also worth noting that uh, Spokane hosts a regional this year. Um, I don't know if you already mentioned that. Yeah. yeah. Which would There's be no really problem. cool and good for the most normal fan base. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> yes, keep going. I, I, I guess this, this kind of is a transition to another thing we wanted to talk about. Um, was just, you know, we're, we're talking about these conferences that could get multiple bids that usually don't. Um, one of which is the WCC. And I know that a three-bid West Coast Conference is definitely a thing. Um, right now, I think Bart Torvik has them has that at like a 90% chance of happening. Um, but just given how tough the WCC has looked so far, um, you know, you think of St. Mary's losing in quadruple overtime to Pacific or like Portland and Pepperdine, you know, two teams that maybe will finish in the bottom half of the conference, given how things have shaken up so far, have, you know, taken Gonzaga to the, like, to the edge just a bit. Um, like how, how feasible is this going to be? I guess. I, and I know I have opinions. I don't know about you guys, but. Oh, sorry. I, I think this is the most likely it has been um, since BYU moved to the West Coast Conference. Mm-hmm. Unless they have gotten three bids before, and I'm just forgetting, which is totally possible. Uh, but I, I think. This, one year. I'm sorry. Uh, I think that one year where San Diego made it. Was that 2010? Yeah, that was before BYU joined. Right. Oh, God. Yeah, that's. So, but regardless, I think this is the best that the West Coast Conference has been since BYU joined. Mm-hmm. And 2012 was yeah. the last time. Okay. And I, I think there are kind of two reasons why I'm really on board with three bids. Number one, those top three teams are, as a whole, the best they have ever been. Um, I, I feel like BYU is kind of the, the forgotten school in all of this because they took a few losses yeah. early. Um, but looking at those losses, they lost by five to San Diego State, an undefeated team. They lost by four in overtime at Boise State. You know, Boise State's not great, but that's not a terrible loss. Same thing with losing in overtime at Utah. And they lost to Kansas. Uh, meanwhile, they haven't lost in over a month. They beat Utah State on a neutral. They have a neutral court win over Virginia Tech. Um, and... You know, I, I made this point in, in the rankings today that BYU is the 11th best three-point shooting team in the country and the 10th best in three-point <laughs> percentage defense. Like, that is a really good combination to have. Um, 
and, and so, the, so that's kind of the first thing that I think those three teams are the best that they've been. And the other thing is that the other seven teams, for the most part, at least are good enough that they're not going to drag everybody's numbers down. They're probably, you know, with the exception of a quadruple overtime game here and there, they're probably not going to threaten the top three all that much. Um, but they're also not going to tank everyone's strength of schedule numbers. So those two reasons are why I think this might be the year for. for I will say there's absolutely nothing wrong with losing to Utah. That's a pretty good loss in my opinion. Um, Nothing to be ashamed of if if you, if your team loses to Utah. Uh, You you know, I, I I can't for the life (laughs) of me figure out why you're saying that. Oh, I mean, they're good. They got, they've, they've beaten some pretty good teams and, uh, is there a team that you like that Utah's beaten like soundly? Soundly, I mean they gave Mississippi Nevada. they gave Mississippi Nevada. Valley State a pretty big drubbing. They beat them by like That's 90, 94 or something like that. Oh my, my bad. They only beat Kentucky by three. I thought that was I thought yeah. that was a blowout for some reason. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah no, yeah, but they, but yeah, they won I that. Yeah, that's yeah. that's funny. I'm, now Utah also lost to Coastal Carolina and Tulane. Yes. And lost by 28 to the undefeated Aztecs of San Diego State. But that's, you know, totally unrelated. Yeah. Well, it's just John Calipari trying to help out mid-majors in any way he yeah. can. Yeah, that's what it is. He, he's always been a fan of the little guy, you know? Well, that's right. That's why That's why he lets, that's why he lets UConn beat him so much. That's right. <laughs> that's the, the I guess to kind of tie a bow on all of this, um, the one team that I'm just perpetually worried about is St. Mary's. Um, and I think, Cam, you, you've mentioned this before as well. You I guess, concerns about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, the other night, I was thinking about that, um, that 2018 team that lost two games <laughs> uh, to... <laughs> they lost four games going in, two in conference, uh, to Gonzaga, San Francisco, Washington State, and Georgia, and then lost to BYU in the WCC tournament, yet missed... Uh, the tournament despite winning 30 games or 28. Um, I don't know that that's just always stuck with me. And I know that that Winthrop loss is bad and the Pacific loss was probably pretty bad. Um, but I'm, I'm just looking at the rest of their schedule and just the, the pace of play that they like to play at and how it keeps teams closer than I guess they appear. Yeah. Um, part of me is bracing for some like two game stretch in February. That'll just, put the Gales fans on edge uh, when it comes to selection Sunday. Um, that's just my only fear. And as we've said, like the WCC looks really good this year. There are only really two pretty bad teams in mm-hmm. there. Um, don't make me name which ones, uh, but <laughs> still, I, I don't make know. I, I, I'm just racing for somehow, some way things are going to get screwed up. I was just saying this, the thing with St. Mary's you're talking about and how, how their style of play just keeps a lot of these more inferior teams um, in the games. Where even, you know, if they are pulling out these victories, they're still nail biters in a lot of them. And that's what um, is totally unrelated, but it kind of reminds me of how St. Louis has kind of been playing this season. Um, they, they play a very similar style to yeah. St. Mary's. And there are plenty of times where they have had opportunities to beat some really good teams like Auburn. Um, and then they did pull off some big wins, but in the process, because of how you know slow they play, and St. Louis's offense is much worse than St. Mary's. Granted, I mean they they mm-hmm. have a pretty pitiful offense, but 
because of their tempo and everything like that, they keep a lot of really bad teams in. Um, and then I, UMass, yeah, UMass. Last, I mean, Bethune Cookman was in that game until like the very, very end. Um, and that that also kind of kind of has a little to do with St. Louis's free throw shooting. But yeah, I think those teams that play a lot of those slower styles in this mid major, um, in the mid major game especially, are just you know asking to be upset. I've got one really dumb question, and then we'll take a break. Um, assuming St. Mary's makes the NCAA tournament. Who who you got for the player that we get super annoyed about when the rest of the college basketball world discovers them? All right, Jordan Ford or Malachi Flynn? <laughs> Probably Jordan Ford. <laughs> yeah, we post a lot about him. Is, is Malachi Flynn well known enough that he's not going to be discovered in the NCAA tournament? Um. Well, I mean, on one hand, he did play for Wazoo before this. What, so, you what are you arguing here? <laughs> Uh, that he's not well known. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's been toiling in obscurity, and then all of a sudden he ends up on this SDSU team. And, I mean, shoot. I don't know. I, I would be equally pissed off <laughs> at both of them. I will say, I, maybe gonna... I watched the end of regulation in all four overtimes of that St. Mary's Pacific game, and it, it just reminded me how much I love Jordan Ford. Yeah. Right, we talked about him point. so much. Oh yeah, he 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 rules, and that's why uh, and, that's why I think it'd be annoying if if people just kind of discover him more. Yeah, he's so. our friend, okay? <laughs> he's our. Well, I mean, uh, on the other hand, it would it would make me even more upset if people just discovered him because they made the tournament last year and he played. Yeah, yeah. So it, it would be a little did, bit more inexplicable. Did they win a game? Like, whoa, look at this. Did they win huh? a game? I don't remember. No, they yeah, almost yeah. beat Villanova. Oh, that's right. That's right. Uh, yeah, no one cared, though, because that was the same site as John Morant. Yeah. <laughs> that's a pretty cool four mid-major teams in one little pod right there. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, Marquette, too. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to shift the conversation east. We're back here on the Mid-Major Madness podcast. Russ Steinberg, Kyle Cajero, Cam Newton. We've talked a lot about NCAA tournament prospects in the West, now let's go to the East because I think pretty much all season our rankings have included like seven or eight Atlantic 10 teams. And none of them are getting at and... large bits. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would not say that. Um, I, I would say the only <laughs> team that's really safe right now is Dayton. Mm-hmm. Like it would take something catastrophic for them to miss the tournament. I think VCU gets in. Um Boyded Rhode Island just ruin any any <laughs> goodwill it could have possibly had with the committee this week. Like they've got a lot of work to do to make up for it. Uh, Duquesne and Richmond have good records, but they've got some work to do. I think the same goes for George Mason and St. Louis. Where do you guys fall on how many the Atlantic 10 could get? And who are you thinking actually makes a cut aside from Dayton? I, I, I think the A-10 at this point... I'd probably put them at like three. Um, and I, I say, you know, Dayton VCU. And I'm not sure Duquesne has a real like at large potential here. Now this could change. I'm going to say, yeah, I mean, know. like if Duquesne <laughs> like beats, you know, some of these bigger teams, uh, then maybe we'll talk about it, but I don't think so. I think Richmond's probably the only one outside of Dayton and VCU who you can make that argument for. It's a much easier argument if they actually beat Radford. 
of course, but they didn't. Um, but they've still got that big win against Wisconsin, who is looking better and better as the season has gone on, which is helping them out a lot. And even though Rhode Island did kind of slump this past week, that's still going to be a pretty solid win for them. Um, this upcoming week is going to be big because Richmond's got games against St. Louis and Davidson. Um, and if they can take care of business there and keep going down into the schedule, um, they have a back-to-back um, matchup at the end of January with Dayton and then VCU. Um, and that's going to be really key because even winning one of those games that weekend could really do a whole hell of a lot um, in terms of advancing their at-large cause. But, you know, there's the A-10's tough. Um, Richmond has shown that they they clearly can falter, especially when they're playing, you know, on some of these road or neutral sites because um, they, they basically only shoot really well when they're at home anymore. Um, and, and the Rhode Island game kind of corrected that a little bit, but that's kind of been the thing looming over them all season. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of worried about them a little bit, but they're probably the only one outside of Dayton and VCU, I think, can still get in that large bit at this point. Yeah, I mean, obviously there's a lot, there's a long way to go. But one thing that I think might be a little bit concerning, if you're a fan of the Atlantic 10, uh, given that the selection process now takes into account the net as well as, you know, depending on what committee member you talk to, um, other, you know, similar metrics, is that in the net, the most recent rankings, Dayton ranked eighth. The next best Atlantic 10 team is VCU at 34 and then Richmond at 53. Like the metrics don't look great for non-Dayton teams in this conference. Uh, I don't know that if maybe the NIT this year is just going to be like the Atlantic 10 tournament part two, <laughs> not featuring Davidson. <laughs> yeah, Davidson. <laughs> we made it this long without talking about it. <laughs> you know what? I, I was it's because I was beating the Davidson drum as hard as anybody going into this year, like saying there's. They were ranked in the AP poll to start the season, and I was saying they were underrated. Yeah. (laughs) I was so on board, and they have been so beyond terrible. We need to destroy all record of that. Yeah. No, I considered just shutting down the site, just (laughs) nuking everything. Well, Bob McKillop needs to retire. I think that's the big lesson. No, no. he's Bob McKillop is my dad. Well, your dad's going to... Have, start having uh, more free time in the winters pretty soon here. No. Have you ever interviewed him? He's amazing. No, I, c- I can't listen to a, a New York accent that long. Bob McKillop has a New York accent. Yeah, isn't he from New York? I mean, it's like vaguely East Coast, but I wouldn't say it's strictly Let's see. Well, New he's York. from Queens, so I just went by that. You know what, though? I'm extremely like deaf to... East Coast slash Northeast accents, just because it's all I hear. Mm-hmm. So I probably I couldn't pick one out of a well lineup isn't the right word, but you know what I mean. Yeah, like okay, he went he grew up in Queens mm-hmm. and on Long Island, and then he also played for Long Hoff- Island, and he played for Hofstra, dude. That's actually something I didn't know. Yeah, that's cool. That makes him worse. Hey, Hofstra's not bad. Yeah, well, William and Mary crushed him. Hey, you want to talk about William and Mary? Yeah, I think they're pretty good. They beat Hofstra by. 27 is this points. the year? I mean, if any year, this has to be like I would feel much better too. Maybe if like they still had Shaver, because uh, then they would have had Pierce still. But I think this is probably setting up for like their best chance at it in 
a long time, perhaps since like, I can't remember if it was 2014 where, or 2013, I can't remember where they, they lost in the CAA title game um, that year. This has to be one of the best. I mean, Nathan Knight's one of the best scorers in, in the mid-major uh, landscape, if not the whole country in general. I'd, I'd say in the country, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's almost averaging it. He leads the nation in double Yeah, he's, he's literally 0.1 rebounds per game uh, away from averaging a double-double. Uh, William & Mary already has seven road wins on the season, which is the that's most of anybody, in the, of anybody in the country. And that's after, I mean, they, they really kind of blew that game against Oklahoma earlier in the year. Um, and, and they've got some bad losses. This could easily have been like a 13-14 win team by now. But 11-5 and five going into this tough stretch where they're going to have um, games against Charleston and then a road trip to Delaware. Um, and, and after viewing that, I think that's going to be what the, probably the most interesting, um, the most interesting stretch. And I'll be at that Charleston game actually. Oh, good. Which is, yeah, I'm, I'm very, very excited for that. Um, so you'll be able I, to. I, I, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, I hate this past weekend. They played Northeastern, and you know nobody got to watch it because it was on Flow and also NESN. Um, that's nothing. And that was that's New England. Yeah, because Northeastern. And so it was Nathan Knight versus Jordan Rowland, which should have been everybody talking about this. And unfortunately, barely anybody got to see it. And also, not unfortunately for the tribe, Jordan Rowland only scored seven points. Yeah, but side note, by the way, if, if you're listening to this and you remember like early 2000s Nesson Sports Desk in the morning better than Sports Center, uh, tweet me because I want to talk to you about it. It was a lot of fun. Um, anyway. A couple of things about William and Mary here. They, first of all, they're, you said they took a couple of bad losses. They did. They lost at St. Joe's. They lost to St. Francis PA. So, you know, this isn't a team that would be looking at, you know, an at-large bid by any stretch. Obviously, they have to win the CAA tournament. However, you mentioned their seven road wins with, you know, reasonably a few more to come. If they were to make the NCAA tournament, that can make the difference between, um, you know, a seed line. Road wins is something that the committee looks at. And if William and Mary plays really well on the road, that could help them if they do end up making the NCAA tournament. Uh, the, the other thing, you know, they're 3-0 and in the CAA. Two of the three teams they've beaten were reasonable picks to win the league at the start of conference play. Hofstra, who they destroyed, and then Northeastern, who they beat by two. Um, the only other team who's, I mean, honestly, probably the best team in the league right now, Charleston, that they haven't played yet. They get them on Saturday. So, you know, they've proven themselves against some really good competition. So, you know, I'm not sure if there's anything else that William & Mary needs to do to prove that they can actually win this league. Yeah. They've also never lost at home. I think that goes oh, worth saying. And they're 116th in the net right now, which puts you right in the middle of the mix of like Boise State, UT Arlington, Belmont. They're ahead of Wofford, George Mason, who we talk about quite a bit, um, in San Francisco. Like that's not a bad place to be um, for a team that's going to cons- hopefully keep racking up wins here. Yeah, they've risen 99 spots on Kim Palm since the season started. That is wild. If someone tracks that, let me know, just because that's got to be one of the highest in the nation. Yeah, it has to be, and you've got to watch them too, just for the fact that they are 
such a fun offensive team. We here at Mid-Major Madness love fun offense. Um, and this team has some of like the best three-point shooting I've, I've watched in the Mid-Majors this year um, between Andy Van Fleet and then Luke Lowy. They have some incredible, incredible perimeter shooters, and that was especially the difference um, on Saturday. Holy crap. Andy Van Fleet is seven feet tall, too. Yeah. They, they call him and Nathan Knight the twin towers. 41% from three? Yeah. This is nuts. Okay. Uh, he's reminding me to Belgian, watch more I think. Games. I, I think he's Belgian. They call nice. him and um, Jordan, I mean, him and Nathan Knight the twin towers. So. Hey, kind of All related right. to <laughs> what we were talking about, I have a really good trivia question for you. My question is there is a mid major team that ranks fourth in the country in current home court winning streak. They have won 18 in a row at home. They have not lost a home game. Oh, I know it is. Prairie View, right? Yeah, Prairie View has not lost a home game since January 20th, 2018. My question was going to be, can you name that team? It it is Prairie View A&M. Byron (laughs) Smith has that program rolling. That's awesome. I I remember because... I looked that up earlier in the year. Oh, shit. Yeah, actually, I saw it on Twitter today, and I I wasn't – I mean, I was obviously really surprised, but then when I thought about it, I was like, oh, yeah, that kind of makes sense because they play no home games out of conference because they play 1,000 right. by games because they're in the SWAC. And then they're really good in their conference, like relative to the rest of the team. So, like, it, mm-hmm. it would make sense that they've won 18 in a row at home. And it's something that I, I know I've talked to Steven about on – when we had him on the podcast is that SWAC fan bases are really intense. Like they, that you have a home court advantage. Uh, if your, um, school is like on board with your basketball team, mm-hmm. like they make a difference. Um, so anyway, that was kind of a failed attempt at a, at a trivia question. Cause you both knew it before I finished asking it. So, you know, That's, if anyone else has trivia, <laughs> well, well, I looked away. that up earlier. I looked that up earlier in the year. Because I wanted to gloat when Tennessee lost that fir- that home game to Memphis because they had the longest win streak, and I remember being like, blown away at first until, like you said, you kind of think about it; it makes sense. But it's still pretty, you know, fantastic to think that a SWAC team has like a home win streak that's that large. And that's another one you just have to root for it to keep going as long as possible because that's oh, just that's a good story. And the longer it goes, the more likely it is to get some real national press and obviously that reflects well on the school and on the conference and helps everybody out. I guess kind of along similar lines. Um, the SWAC was number one in home win percentage last year. Wait a second. Uh, according to Ken Pop. <laughs> that is incredibly yeah. misleading. Yeah. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> yeah. Home right. win percentage so- in conference play. <laughs> Well, sixty-seven point eight percent of the, <laughs> the home team. You want to talk about the home games they get out They're of conference? <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, Jarvis Christian, <laughs> uh, oh, Houston Tillotson. What was that school last year? We spent like half a podcast you, making fun of their name. Do you remember that? Was it the one that uh, only scored like eight points or something? Was it Tacoa Falls? So, I mean, all of these teams that Prairie View, they're just pl- they're just playing like Flannery O'Connor characters, like <laughs> Jarvis Christian and Houston Tillotson. 
Oh, it was it was oh, Greensboro right. because they that's played right. UNC Greensboro and lost 111 to 33. That was <laughs> great <laughs> great moments in a podcast history. There, William Peace. <laughs> this one was just favorite, or just all the saints like Saint Catherine. Oh, there are so many I saints. Think. Yeah, Cal State Northridge played Saint Catherine like a couple of nights ago, and. I'm going to look this up so I don't botch it. Um, but believe it or not, that was the first triple-double in school history happened against them. Um, shout out to uh, Elijah Harkless. <laughs> um, scored 22 points, grabbed 11 rebounds, and dished out 10 assists <laughs> in a 109-78 to win. Is he related to Mo Harkless? I do not know that off the top of my head, but I could do some searching. I mean... I mean, basically, the Big West is everyone's like every NBA player from the '90s or '80s. Like their son just plays for a Big West <laughs> school now. You know, you, you mentioned all these like obscure Saints that schools are playing. Vermont played uh, Saint John's. Who the hell are they? App. Oh, here it was Appalachian State when they beat Tacoa Falls by 101 points in 2017. Oh, that's that's good stuff. Thank you, everybody, for listening to the Mid-Major Madness podcast. Make sure to go ahead and rate us wherever it is you find your podcasts. Also, write us a nice review if you so choose. For Cam Newton and Kyle Cajero, I'm Russ Steinberg. Thank you so much for putting up with us. We'll talk to you again soon.